Good morning, everyone. Welcome to um, Wisdom Seekers. For those of you that are listening, my name's Imani here at the Father's Church, and um, we're going to have a really great teaching this morning about the transparency of the Lord, being transparent with the Lord. Um, so initially, when I was preparing for this teaching, I was wanting to talk about being vulnerable with the Lord. And of course, there's like tons of examples of people being vulnerable before the Lord in Scripture, but, um, you know, sometimes the words don't line up. It's not the same. You can't just like search vulnerability. That's not a word that is often found in the Bible. So um, I was thinking about words that connect to it. Um, I was thinking about people that were, that were exemplifying the traits of vulnerability and transparency. And um, it started to go in a different direction, and I know that the Lord is in it. So I'm really excited about this teaching. So uh, we will start with Genesis chapter 3, <coughs> verses 8 through 11. We have quite a few passages here. Some of them are quite lengthy, but they're really interesting texts. So when we get to them, we'll, we'll talk, have some commentary, and, and it will be good. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So um, I think the thing that stands out to me the most in that passage is where they're actually hiding themselves. And of course we know like in the, the next verse it'll talk about how they were sewing fig leaves together, all of that stuff. Um, but when I looked up the word for hid, the word is haba, which is a primitive root and it means to do something secretly, to withdraw, to hide yourself literally, to be forced into hiding, to be hidden, to draw back to thicken, to harden. And that's the first time that we see that word used in the Bible. Of course, it's Hebrew, so it's exclusively in the Old Testament. And it's a word that refers to the literal physical hiding of a person. In all of the definitions, it's a, it's a literal word. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because there was a spiritual occurrence that happened as well, right? Hiding from God is not just a physical happening. It was a spiritual one, too. And so after reading that, um, I was thinking about other people that had, you know, fled from the presence of the Lord or tried to leave the presence or, you know, just entering in in that way. And I went to Jonah. So the next verse is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And it reads, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And um, so I was looking up 
like um, what the name of God was there, and it's Yahweh. It's the self-existing or the eternal one. You know, Jonah was there on on kingdom business, and the aspect of the Lord that was sending him forth was, you know, the person of Yahweh. Adam and Eve, they hid from Elohim, you know, the part of God that loves us. And so um, as I continued to go through these passages, I started to see some of that happening again, especially with those two aspects. So in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we'll read, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. But when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I, um, we're going to read another passage later, but when I read that, I was like, wow, like this is one of the first places where we're seeing Moses um, have any contact face to face with God, because we know later, you know, as Moses grows in his relationship with the Lord and he fulfills missions and the tasks that, that the Lord has for him as he's leading the children of Israel, um, it talks about how God talks to Moses face to face, you know, as God speaks to a friend. And um, just to see that progression from like, this is the first time and he, he actually is kind of afraid, you know, in the presence of the Lord. And then later on, you see that transition and then he's, he's on the mount with the Lord and the children of Israel are all afraid at that point because he had grown and he had, um, yeah, in the presence of the Lord. So Moses was called out to the Lord um, from the burning bush by Elohim. Elohim called out to Moses. It's the facet of God that is deeply relational and seeking connection with his people. And the Lord was looking at Moses while Moses was checking out what the Lord was doing. Because it talks about how after Moses was looking at the bush, God noticed that he was paying attention and then he called out to him. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And Moses' proper response of openness and hunger and curiosity is what compelled the Lord to call out to him. And I think that's a good posture. You know, when you're, when you're in the place that the Lord has called you to be, you're standing in your appointed place. When he's doing something, I think it's good to notice. <laughs> it's good to turn aside and, and to see what the Lord may, may reveal. Because he notices that and then he'll, he'll pour out. So... Um, the next scripture is Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. <clears throat> and it reads, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and slew him. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I, I, I want to say, I don't know, but it says, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Man, you can, like, you can hear the irreverence in his tone of voice when he responds back to the Lord in that way. It's a striking contrast to how Moses approached God versus Cain, right? So Cain has not only committed a great atrocity against his family, his terio, with the spilling of the bloodshed, you know, of his brother, um, but he also did this thing in the sight of God, and he proceeded to lie to God about it, and he didn't feel any remorse about it. He knew where his brother was, <laughs> you know? And so, um, after that, it says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And the Hebrew word yasa means to get out of something, to go to, to break out, to be condemned, to depart, to draw forth, to escape. And this act of leaving the presence of God refers to a literal and a physical reality here too. Cain physically left the settlement where his family lived in the presence of God, and he went out from the presence of Yahweh. So in Numbers chapter 12, verses 3 through 10, it reads, Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. And my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and in the similitude of the Lord he shall behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Um, this passage tells us that the Lord takes relationship with us very seriously, that our commune with him is priceless, that our sweet fellowship with him and us standing in our appointed place and doing his work, it blesses God. And so when we connect with God deeply and fully, we are literally his dream for humanity. We are literally the embodiment of who he created us to be. If God has an idea for each person's destiny and who they are when he thinks about us, when we are standing in our place and when we are doing what he's asked us to do, we are the embodiment of his, of his dream for us. And I think that's really cool. Um, we are all created with the capacity to commune deeply and in transparency before the Lord. But it's, it's not always an easy thing to do. So, okay. Numbers chapter 12, verses 3 through 10. Oh, we just read that one. So we're at Genesis 18, chapters 
chapter 18, verses 16 through 28. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep in the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And so, um, just to recap, you know, Abraham was just chilling at his house, sitting under a tree in the cool, and um, two angels and the Lord came walking down the street. <laughs> And so he went and he, you know, made them some meat, made them some bread, started to eat with them. And after they had finished their meal, the angels said, okay, well, we're going to be on our way. And so the Lord stopped and talked to him. And I thought that was, that was really cool. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep reading. So it says, um, you know, the two angels, they had gone, gone forward towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I think he discerned that the Lord didn't just come here to eat. <laughs> you know, there's probably something important that we need to talk about. There's probably some kingdom transaction that needs to occur. There's probably some measure of partnership that I can, that I can stand with the Lord on behalf of. And so it says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous therein? That be far from thee to do that after this manner, and to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from you, Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which I am but dust and ashes. That's that like humility there. He says, Peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy the city for a lack of five? And the Lord said, You know, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And so this exchange does continue. And eventually, um, Abraham says, you know, Lord, if there just be 10 righteous in the city, will you spare the city for their sake? And the Lord says, okay, if there be 10 righteous, you know, I won't destroy, destroy this town. And so the word where it says Abraham drew near to the Lord, that is the word nagas, and it means to bring near, euphemistically, to like be with a woman. It is like to be intimate, to be close, to approach, um, to give place. And so when he was coming up to the Lord, it was more than just standing there. You know, it was a, it was a physical reality, but then it was also spiritual as well. And then also in this passage, 
it says that he stood with the Lord. And that word is amad, to stand. It is also a literal and a figurative word. That means to abide, to appoint, to confirm, to continue, to dwell, to be established and ordained, to remain, to be upright. So Nagas and, Am and Ahmad are opposite of the fleeting that Jonah did, right? A complete opposite. The Lord sent him on a mission and he fled. Um, the Lord is uh, talking to Abraham about something that is about to go down and he's partnering with him, he's standing, and he's drawing close. And um, I think these two words are also the, obviously, the antithesis of how Cain departed from the presence of the Lord. And what Abraham did was the essence of standing in the gap, you know, on behalf of that people group, behalf of the people in the city that were righteous. Um, he communed with God through prosuke and through supplication, and Abraham drew nigh unto the Lord and advocated for the righteous. And he advocated for the sparing of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He also strategized with the father and came to an agreement that the city would be spared if there were only ten righteous who lived there. The Lord agreed, and in the city there were still less than ten found righteous. And so we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We, ta we taught about that um, with the kids and to see their pictures. <laughs> what a sight to behold. <laughs> All their pillars of fire falling down, people running around screaming. I'm like, well, that's probably how it was, you know. And um, <clears throat> yeah. So in Exodus chapter 33, verses 9 through 11, it says, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. I was just, I marveled when I read that passage because I, I think this has always been God's plan for humanity. You know, if, if we could all be that way, I think that, is, that, is, that was the plan, you know. But of course, we all make our choices, and being a saint is tough, but we, we pay the cost because we know that we love the Lord, and we know the places where he's calling us to do work, it's worth it. I don't know the reference. That's really sad. You gotta watch the movie, Oh God. It's the first movie about God. Ah. The person you John saw Denver. Oh, that's funny. She probably doesn't know who John Denver is. <laughs> I'm up for movie nights. <laughs> you know, Imani, uh, I'm I'm wondering about. That the passage that you just referenced in Genesis 18 um, and the, the draw near with Nagas um, because I was just looking this up um, the 
it's it's a roof, but it's kind of it's a, it's a weird. I'm not. I won't describe it in Hebrew, but it's a roof, uh, and it's only used twice. Um, wow. One of them is in uh, Samuel, where he says, "You will lighten my darkness." And the essence of drawing near in the gospel is to be enlightened or to gain light or some kind of revelatory light in a point of darkness. Mm. And and so I'm wondering about this. God comes down with the two angels and they're obviously down there to go into the, the epitome of darkness on earth. Mm -hmm. And Abram draws near and that that's right on the definition of this, but the root of it is to gain brightness or to gain uh, clarity in the midst of an uncertain darkness. And then you could extrapolate that out as to the motivation of people coming in this area with the gods. Mm. But I, I'm wondering about that. You know, every. Every point of hiding or running away is going into the darkness or a sign that you partnered with darkness in some way and you want to escape the light of the Lord. And, you know, Abraham, you know, like you said, he's, he's there in Mamre literally chilling because it's hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, for him to go to the light is is an effort out of his complacency. Mm -hmm. And even what you said about Moses, I'll go and see what this thing is that's burning. And when God saw that he was looking at this burning bush and, and that he's coming to that light, God talks to him. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me, but I wondered about that Nagas. Mm -hmm. And it's just odd to me to see that Naga, which God will lighten my darkness. Um, it's, so, so there's an association in all of these about either going toward the light of the Lord, which is his presence, which is his ways, which is his face, which is his lamps, which is his eyes. You know, which is all light. Or do you stay, flee from that? Or do you just stay complacent and say, yeah, there's light over there, but I'm happy here. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. I'm not, I'm just throwing that out there. But the, the draw near is very much like Moses. I'll go and look and see what this brightness is. And when you choose to approach that, then you are lightened, but it also brings you into a point of deeper love, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to go off the definition of Nagas the there. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I, I think it's interesting when, when uh, as soon as each of these people and ourselves too, I think, when, as soon as we realize that we are in the presence of God, we can't help but see who we are in contrast. Mm 
Mm. There's different reactions. Like I'm, I'm dust, you know. And the other reaction is uh, light, you know, like pain. But you can't help but see who you are when you see God. Yeah. That's true. There was another scripture that I kind of have been mulling over all week that I didn't put in here, and I, it didn't even dawn on me that they could be connected until you guys started talking about this. So I will tell you the verse, and we'll read that, and then we'll, we'll get back in there. So it says in John chapter 3, verse, what verse? Verse 17. It says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In, in verse 19 it says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so I think that perfectly sums that up. Because you're right, um, if, if the light of the world is coming to you, if the Lord is revealing himself to you in light, it does, it, it shines brightly on you. And at that point, we have a choice to make. You know, do I yield to this light? Do I submit to this light? Do I uh, repent and, and be made clean and holy so that I can then in turn look like this light? Or do I flee from it? Do I run from it? Do I detest it because, you know, I, I love darkness? So that's, that's, that is interesting. Yeah. I, I was looking at uh, another instance of that, Nagah word. And it's Isaiah 9, it says, The people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. There's that word. And, and then a couple verses later, it speaks about every battle of a warrior with confused noise, garments rolled in blood. And then unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, government upon his shoulder. So this business of what you're talking about, really, you think about it, it indicates God wanting to come and shine his light into a dark situation. And whether we will... Yeah. see that light and enter into that light and if we enter into the light then um, Emmanuel is partnering with us and we we have to regard every every battle of a warrior with garments uh, confused noise garments rolled in blood we talked about how that mm. in the past you have to be willing to Even though you've been in past victories and past battles, you have to be willing to come to the light, submit your accolades from the past, and no matter how great they've been, and then enter into the light again mm -hmm. to see the victory. But these people that you've referenced so far, some of them did, 
Others said, I'm not having anything to do with that. I'm getting as far away from that as I can. Others say, you know, I don't like what you're doing. My brother here, he's accepted the bike, but I don't want to do it, and I don't like that he did, so I'm going to knock him out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Adam and Eve, you know, the first one. I'm quiet. I'll be quiet. I was doing some uh, research about Adam and Eve because something <coughs> that is uh, regularly accepted, and I'm... I'm sure it makes sense is people say that Adam and Eve were clothed with the glory of God. You know, that was their raiment, their, that was their clothing. And when sin entered in, then that was no more. And then that prompted the sudden need to go find fig leaves and all this stuff and hide and all these things. I, I actually couldn't find it though. You know, in scripture, I was looking for that because I was like, that would make sense that they were clothed with the light of God. and when you know their eyes became darkened because of sin, because of this deception, it was no more. And so I, um, I was thinking about that too. I was thinking a lot about that, but I, I couldn't get to the end of it, so I, I kept going. So um, in Exodus 33, chap- yeah, chapter 33, verses 9 through 11, I think we read this. We did, and it talks about how the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as, as he speaks, as a man speaks unto his friend. So this has always been God's plan for relationship with humanity, to speak to us as he did with Adam and Moses. But the same temptation remains. Will we stay in the presence of the Lord, or will we flee and be left to our own devices? Will we steward those opportunities for connection with him, or will we squander them? This next verse precedes Cain murdering his brother, so it's like before that happened. Um, But what I think is interesting about it is that the Lord cautions him about what could happen if he turned his affections away. If he chose bitterness, jealousy, anger over humility, transparency, and growth with the Lord. So Genesis 4, 3 through 7 reads, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why has your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted too? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. When we're in fellowship and communion with the Lord, we must guard our hearts, mindsets, and attitudes. We have to do that. Um, Cain became envious of Abel's position with the Lord. He wanted to obtain the same measure of favor that his brother had, but he didn't want to pay the cost to get it. He didn't want to sacrifice any more than what he was doing, and he felt that what he gave should have been good enough for God. And when God reminded him that he could have the same regard or respect as his brother, he didn't accept the challenge. He nursed rage instead. You know, the Bible says twice he was very wroth. You know, he was like super mad. (laughs) So (laughs) 
So he ignored the warning of the Lord, and he took his brother out into the field, and he slew him. Um, it actually says, like, he was out in the field, and he was talking to his brother, and then he rose up and slew him. So I think, like, because it was broken down like that, I think he was thinking about it. I think he was thinking about what the Lord said to him. I think he was weighing everything, and I think in the end he, he chose iniquity. He chose to, to nurse his bitterness and, and to kill his brother. And even after the murder, Cain's attitude of self-righteousness continued because he purposefully rejected the warning of God, and then he actively chose to leave the presence of God afterwards. And so in John 20, 17 and 18, um, so he's talking to, I think he's talking to Mary Magdalene. It's at the temple, at the, at the tomb, I'm sorry, after the resurrection had happened. Um, it says, Jesus said to her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And I think that last sentence is so profound because Jesus is the essence of man in right relationship with the Father, with God. That is like the prime premium example. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can embody that too. As Jesus said, the Lord is our Father, the Lord is our God. Um, so, let's see. So now we're going to talk a little bit about David. I think David is a really prime example of someone who had a heart after the Lord, who made bad choices, who stayed in the presence of the Lord after making those bad choices, repented for those bad choices, turned around, and still received the promise. Like, I feel like there's nothing better that we can hope for. You know, that's wonderful. That is what we all want to, to be able to do. Obviously, it's good to avoid folly if you can, but if you fall in a ditch, it's really good to stay with the Lord until you get out again, you know? So 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 14. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. So um, right before this, you know, he gave a, an analogy. There's a, there's a man who has a sheep that he loves. It's, it's its only sheep. You know, he doesn't have any more. And there's another man who has all the sheep that he could ever want. And so, you know, the man with all the sheep takes the one sheep from the man and, you know, he kills it. And David was so angry when he hears about this. And he's like, that man needs to be put down. That's an evil thing. I can't believe somebody would do that. And so Nathan said to David, dude, it's you. Like, thou art the man. And then he gives him this word. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives unto your bosom. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife. And you've slain them with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, thus says the Lord, Behold, 
I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your own eyes and give them unto your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For thou did, for you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has also put away thy sin. You shall not die. Howbeit, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So our transparency before the Lord has to extend into all areas, even if there's folly, even if we make a mistake or if we sin. We must remain in the presence of God at all costs, and we must be repentant. Doing these two things, staying in His presence and truly turning away from our error with understanding, is our only true shot and hope for resolution and the exit from the place where sin lieth at the door, right? Because that's, that's where Cain was, and he, he didn't leave that place. He opened the door and, and yeah. So David sinned before the Lord, and because he remained both in the presence of the Lord and repentant, the Lord forgave his shortcomings, and we know that the Lord restored him. So we'll keep reading um, in the next passage to see more about how David's transparency before the Lord led to his restoration after he missed the mark. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 23, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You won't die, um, but the child will die. And verse 15 says, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted, and he went in, and he lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of the house arose and went into him to try to get him up off the ground, but he would not, and he wouldn't eat bread either. And verse 18 says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child had died, because they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not listen to us. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? And verse 19 says, But when David saw that his servants were whispering, he perceived that the child was dead. And so he asked them, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And then verse 20, David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord. And he worshipped. And he came into his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that, that you have done? Like, what is this? You were fasting and weeping and mourning for the child while it was alive, but then when the child was dead, now you're up eating bread? And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now that he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Shall I go to him? But he shall not return to me. So David never let his pain cause him to veil and wall off parts of himself from the Lord. He never walled off any parts of himself from the presence of God. Um, I was reading a ton in Psalms, you know, and I'm sure he wrote some of those when he was um, 
being chased through the wilderness by Saul. You know, it's like, oh, my enemies are all around me. All these really terrible things are happening to me. You know, he was anointed king when he was very young and he was on the run forever and ever. And, you know, he could have been really mad. He could have just gotten his feelings and, and not honored the Lord and, and, and blasphemed the Lord and sinned against the Lord. He could have been like, um, like Job's friends, <laughs> you know, but he didn't. In his fasting and his praying, he demonstrated steadfastness and an insistence that God's will will still be done through him, no matter what. And I think that's really beautiful. So, um, John? I love that he, he sought the Lord for that grace, but yeah. even when he didn't receive it, he still worshiped. Yes. Yeah. Because I think we seek the Lord for grace in certain scenarios because we want the scenario to turn out a particular way. But we have to accept what his will is at the end of the day yeah. and still submit ourselves and worship, and it, that is, I mean, that is so poignant. That is a place of failing for so many. Yeah. Because you do get embittered because you didn't get your way, and you don't understand why God chose His way, or you know what, why that was His will. I mean, our way, we just think our ways are so much better, you know. <laughs> but we can't see the big picture that God is looking at. I mean, there's just so much more at play. In our one little scenario, it affects everything, and the plan is divine. It's, you know, I don't know. I just think it's really important when people are able to accept. I mean, and I think the main thing is, yes, that was over a child's life, and life and death, and people who are, you know, not healed, stuff like that. that those are hard things to swallow. Mm -hmm. You really, you know, because you're like, this is God's will that you would be healed. You know, why aren't you? You know, you don't understand that. But the thing that I think gets people the most is when it has to do with their personal calling and they don't get to do the things they want to do. I think that's the, that's the real kicker for so many to get hung up on thinking they can choose their own pathway, you know, choose their own calling. Or they get into their mind that is their calling. Mm -hmm. And then all these other people are keeping them from their calling. Folks, no one can keep you from your calling. If that's what God wants, it will happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway. And it such is a tactic of the enemy. People say, I, this is my life. This is my destiny. You know, you people are saying really crazy things now. Like, you manifest your own destiny. You know, I think, therefore I am. Like, all of these really demonic doctrines that people are living by. And that is a tactic of the enemy and in the world. Um, you can control your own destiny. You don't have to submit to anyone. You know, you can take control of your own life, and we I know that it's not like that. Yeah, I think, I think the enemy's tactic is an attack against a person's identity. Mm -hmm. Because if he can get that, their eyes on something else, they'll never reach what God has intended for them because they're always seeking another thing, which is why I think all this, you know, transgenderism. And I don't know who I was talking to recently who said even at their school, they're, they don't have to tell their, their parents if the kid wants to identify as an animal, like a cat. And they have to bring in a cat litter box so they can pee in a cat litter box. What? Are we playing house here? What is no. going on? This is really happening. The, the kids can identify as an animal and then, you know, portray whatever that trait is. I'm sorry. 
That's not okay. Are we going to the loony bed? I think we're just halfway there. Anyway, yeah. because sure, we let our kids pretend, don't we? I mean, we do. They can play like they're kitties, and they can be little. But we're not. We're not really going to let them pee in a litter box. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's just all let's just all be. Oh no! Just on the floor. Anyway, oh goodness! I know a little digression, but you're right. It's crazy out there, and I do think the attack, though, of the enemy is against the identity, which is why that's the crux of the bitterness that people have mm-hmm. when they don't, you know, they don't really accept the grace God is giving to overcome and to move forward in who they've been called to be. They become right. embittered because they're not, you know, getting their way in whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is, like, God's grace is sufficient. Like, God's grace is sufficient enough for us to be able to overcome anything. In His will. In His not will. In our own will. That's right. But when you, when you submit, then comes the empowerment. Then comes the grace. Then comes the ability. Then comes... You know, the supercharge from the Holy Spirit to be able to, to get through. But if people can't ever get to the point where they will submit or they will be transparent before the Lord or where they will lay down whatever they say, this is, this is my life, this is my title, this is who I am, this is what I deserve. If they never lay those things down, then they can't, they can't enter in and they can't be healed and they can't be whole. You know, it requires you to, to die. <laughs> And dying is not, it's not fun, but it's necessary for, for life to come forth. So um, John chapter 11, verses 32 through 46. This is just like a heart-wrenching passage, just because Mary's brother had just died. And I think the last little bit of faith and hope that they had of him like being okay happened when when they told Jesus about it. It was like three days before, two, three days before. And I think that when he 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 tarried there, he stayed until the timing of the Lord released him to go to the next place. I think when their brother died, it was just like, oh, we have no nothing now. And I, I don't even know if they expected a miracle at that point. And so you just get all that raw emotion right there in this passage. So it says, When Mary was come to where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been, been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came to her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And you guys know that's the shortest sentence in the whole Bible. <laughs> Jesus wept. <laughs> yeah. That's the one you want to memorize. If <laughs> Don't tell your friends. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him as they're watching Jesus there with Mary. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died. So they're just really hung up on the fact that he died. They're like, man, you're late. (laughs) And Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave, and it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. 
And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead for four days. I think that's kind of funny, mostly because you think about Mary and Martha. Wasn't it um, Mary who chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and Martha was doing all the cooking and cleaning? So we know how Martha thinks. Like, she's like, it's been four days. This is not something you normally do. Like, this is not the order of things, you know. I wonder if she was the oldest. Like, I don't know. But, (laughs) and Jesus said to her, didn't I say if you would believe you should see the glory of God? So they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, No. (laughs) I wondered about that. And I read so closely and I was like, are they going to say anything about the smell in this place? They didn't (laughs) say anything about it. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people which stand by, I say it that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes. This is kind of funny. And his face was bound with a napkin. I'm like, so there, he's like, like, is he talking? Like, you know, his his head was wrapped up. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews, which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went on their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. I think that's another example of people seeing, being in the presence of God, seeing something miraculous occur, being right there on that precipice of breakthrough, and then you still see like what's in their heart is going to manifest. Like some people believed on him, other people went and scurried off to go, you know, stir the pot. And so this text says so much. It tells us that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is moved by our pain. I I just I think it's so profound because a lot of people really, even Christians, think that God is callous sometimes, that He doesn't see us, that He doesn't feel what we feel, that he doesn't experience what what we're going through. And I think that's a huge argument that people try to levy against God. Oh, if if God is a loving God, then why is there so much suffering? Why do we have, you know, all these bad things? But it's like, no, Jesus was God incarnate. He was here. He He cared. He cares. He cares to this day, you know. And much like how Abraham drew near to God to transact kingdom business, and David wept and fasted before the Lord until his will was clear. Likewise, Mary drew near to Jesus in her pain. And I think that's, that's beautiful. Her vulnerability and her transparency before the Lord moved his heart, just as Abraham moved the heart of God on behalf of the righteous in the city, even though there were less than 10. And David redeemed himself to the Lord through his acts of repentance. So um, I am going to read these next passages. Uh, I just thought that they, they really summed up a lot of what we talked about, and there's not a lot of commentary on the last part. If you guys have something, jump in. But Psalms 22, verses 23 through 31 says, Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye, the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, 
For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hid his face from him, from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him, and your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and the, and the kindreds of nations shall, shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. I've never, that's profound. A seed shall serve him. That's really prophetic. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he has done this. And Psalms 15 says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walks uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he that honoreth him that fear the Lord, oh, but he honoreth him that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. I think that's a really good contrast. You know, it, it looks a lot like the people that we talked about. You know, David making this choice and um, somebody else, you know, Cain making this choice. He's talking about people, like it even says, he that does evil against his neighbor. Um, I think that was like the very essence of that. He took up offense with his brother and slew him. So Psalms uh, 16 reads, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names unto my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. For I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So, we talked about a lot today about the importance of remaining transparent before the Lord, about um, staying ever-present before the Lord physically and spiritually, even if we ourselves miss the mark, 
to be repentant and to stay in his presence and to seek the light of his truth, you know, there is, there is nothing better than that. And that is what we're called to do. So, Father, I thank you for the words that you released today. I thank you for touching each and every one of us. I pray that uh, these words would go down deep in our spirits and, and, and echo and resonate more of your truth there in the coming days. I pray that you give us um, fresh insight and even more fresh revelation about some of these passages. And I thank you for what you're doing in the saints and in our hearts. May we always be ones that seek your truth and your light and, and your presence. Yes. And may we always remain transparent before you. In Jesus' name, we declare, amen. amen.